0: Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com.
1: I'm Khalil E. and this is Nashville. Long COVID. It's a term many of us have heard And it's a reality, one in five Americans who have had COVID are currently living with, according to CDC data. Doctors are working hard to understand why some people continue to have symptoms weeks and sometimes months after being infected with COVID. The effects are debilitating and can take an already tough situation and make it worse. How can you tell if you have long COVID? How are those who do have it, finding the support and medical care they need? Later this hour, we'll meet a few folks living with long COVID and round up resources available from local medical experts. Tweet us your questions for our experts at This Is Nashville or email us at This Is Nashville at WPLN.org. But first, it's time for At Us. Each week, we take time to read the comments so you don't have to. Yes, I am encouraging you to literally at us on Twitter at This Is Nashville and on Instagram at This Is Nashville underscore WPLN. Joining me now with a look back at the past week is our digital lead, Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Hey, Anna. Hey, Khalil. How's it going?
2: It's good. It's always good when I'm in the studio with you. It's just a better day.
1: That's right. That's (laughs) right it is. Okay, so let's get right into it. After Tuesday's show about social media influencers, I understand a popular Instagram account reached out because they were a little disappointed
2: they weren't on our panel. Of course. It was music
1: Music. Sh-t-y.
2: I really like the Count music Because all they do is post hilarious memes about the city mm-hmm. It's like one big inside joke for locals only Music is also anonymously run So I did really think Tuesday's episode could have finally been our chance To find out who runs music mm-hmm. But we totally can't say music on the air without receiving a huge fine From the Federal Communications Commission.
1: That's right. You know, for listeners who want to find music the name rhymes with Music City.
2: Yeah, just use your imagination there a little bit. And
1: make it happen. All right. What else, Anna?
2: So I wanted to give a shout out to listener Allie Chambers Hopkins, who slid into our Instagram DMs to say, quote, I have been absolutely hooked on your show since discovering it a month ago. You always have the best conversations and topics. And you know what? Best listeners, too. Thanks, Allie.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Allie. That's sweet. You know, we also heard from several guests over the past week after their episodes, because as always, we didn't get to everything during the hour. After Monday's episode about injuries in football, our guest, Dr. Aaron Yango-Khan, from the Vanderbilt Sports Concussion Clinic, quote, tweeted us. He says, quote, Team sports make a difference for kids, and risks of catastrophic injury are extremely low. For perspective, firearm mortality incidents for children are are 5 to 10 times higher than catastrophic injuries in youth through collegiate sports. Sports equal unlimited benefit.
2: That's really good context for parents worried about their kids playing football or other contact sports, although it is kind of a, of a depressing fact.
1: You know, that is a depressing fact, and it's something that we're facing here in the United States of America until we really do something about gun control. Mm-hmm. Okay, Zana, what else do we have?
2: So we also heard from AI developer Evan Conrad, who was a guest on last week's show about art created by artificial intelligence. We mostly focused that episode on popular AI apps like Lenza, but I think we should clarify how the technology works. Mm -hmm. So Lenza and other art creation apps use something called Diffusion, which turns text prompts into pictures. But Diffusion can also be used to make music, videos, and a whole host of other creative things. In an email, Evan wrote saying, quote, the public should very much expect all of these to get better. It should be very clear that this isn't a quote unquote maybe that they'll get better like other technologies. Mm. And the only thing you need to get better AI is more money. He went on to say, quote, this isn't some sci-fi thing. We're talking about large releases within months and Mm. likely very weird changes over the next 10 years. Wow.
1: Very weird changes. You know, when they said that in that episode, I thought to myself, life is never going to be the same. So it sounds like we can expect more and better AI art in the future.
2: And even AI music and movies and who knows
1: what else. Wow.
2: That is exciting and
1: Maybe kind of scary. You know, I want to mention another thing about that episode on AI-generated art. One of our favorite things here at This Is Nashville is what we like to call a parking lot moment. Not to be confused with driveway moments where you hear amazing radio and a story and you have to sit in your car to listen. Parking lot moments happen when our show guests, who'd never met before, leave the studio and stand in the parking lot talking.
2: Yes. So we had something of a parking lot moment with our AI episode, except this time it was in a Zoom chat Hmm. because so many of our guests were, you know, calling in remote. Um, There was a fruitful discussion in the chat about the regulations of AI, and it turns out that AI generated art. Can't be copyrighted. Wow,
1: that's crazy. Huh?
2: Yeah, I mean, the rules around it are still like super fuzzy. So you probably can't sue if your friends start selling prints of your own AI generated lens of uh, selfies. But if you take AI art and then edit it to add your own flair, maybe a little extra design, it's a completely different story.
1: Wow, hopefully they will figure that out. All right, anything else, Anna?
2: So, if you spent any time on Twitter within this last week, you've probably seen more than one angry tweet about the Tennessee legislature considering shrinking the Nashville Metro Council. Mm-hmm. So, next Tuesday, we are actually doing an episode about our Metro Council, and we'll explain why exactly we have 40 council members. So, listeners, tune in. Put that on your uh, on your calendar.
1: Be sure to do that. Thanks to our digital lead, Anna Gallegos-Cannon, for this roundup. Anna, we'll see you soon.
2: Of course, and our listeners know where to find me online.
1: Don't forget to add us on Twitter and Instagram. Let's keep the comments coming. Also, fill out our community survey to let us know what topics you want us to cover at thisisnashville.org. It is super easy and quick and helps us produce shows with your needs and interests in mind. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we're bringing you a special Citizen Nashville episode all about Long COVID. Do you have Long COVID? Are you caring for someone who does? Tweet us about your experience at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Ikelona, and this is Citizen Nashville. We've been talking a lot here at WPLN News about how to serve you, our communities, better. So a few times a month, we're bringing you segments we're calling Citizen Nashville. Our goal is to answer your questions, to hold our officials accountable, and to pull together resources and, and hacks to empower our community members. Today, we're talking Long COVID. Extreme fatigue, shortness of breath, difficulty concentrating, stomach pain. These are only a few of the symptoms that people who are living with Long COVID suffer from. Having COVID-19 is tough in itself, but having Long COVID can bring a sense of hopelessness with no end in sight. Very little is known about what causes Long COVID or how to treat it. For the people who are living with it, a strong support system is vital. My next guests know this well. Barbara Van Meter Nivens is from Old Hickory. She's joined by Suzanne Martin from Charlotte. Barbara and Suzanne, I know it took a lot for you both to join us. Thank you both for being here and welcome to This Is Nashville.
3: Thank you so much for having
1: us. Really appreciate you both being here. So, you know, Barbara, let's start with you. When did you first notice that something was off?
4: Do you mean after I came home from the hospital with COVID?
1: Tell me a little bit about what life was like before COVID and then when you realized that you had it.
4: I was extremely active. Um, I walked five miles three times a week. Um, I managed a retail store. I was active with my husband. We went on vacations together. My daughter. Um... We were just extremely active, whereas now um, I'm not. I hardly leave my house. But I got COVID in September of 2019.
1: Wow. And
4: the, the day that I was going in to be tested, my daughter had tested positive for COVID. So she called and asked my husband and I to get tested. I was already sick because I'd had pneumonia. Then we went into like an Instacare to be tested. And then my blood blood pressure was like 60 over 40. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I could hardly move. Mm-hmm. So the doctor came in and took my blood pressure again. And he said, we're not going to test you. Um, we're either calling an ambulance or you're going to summit hospital right now. So my husband says he would take me and they took us straight in when we got to the ER. And from there, they took my husband and I into a room. And then all of a sudden, all these people started coming in after the doctor came in. They said I was septic. They made my husband step out. I don't really remember how long we were in that room, but the next thing is they just wheeled me straight into the ICU.
1: Was your experience in the ICU, was that experience in the ICU frightening for you?
4: It was extremely frightening, scary. Um, I couldn't have my family with me. I had never been in the hospital without at least having one of my family members present. Mm -hmm. So that was very scary.
1: Now, Suzanne, I understand that you contracted COVID from your husband who passed away after several weeks in the hospital. Let me initially express my condolences to you. And I know this is difficult for you, but can you tell me when you first noticed that you were not getting better after being infected?
3: Um, so I contracted COVID. It was March of 2021. And I would say probably a couple weeks after that, I just noticed that I really wasn't improving, um, that I still had this extreme fatigue going on, um, and just muscle pain, joint pain, migraines and nausea and everything. And, um, I ended up um, reaching out to a friend of mine who said that she saw this um, thing on the internet about long COVID, and she mentioned it to me, and I was like, well, what is that? I didn't know anything about it, or nobody else did either. Then I finally realized that there was actually a long COVID clinic, um, and I was reading Um, you know, all the symptoms and everything that the long COVID, they were saying the long COVID people had. And I said, well, gosh, I have every single one of those. Mm -hmm. Um, But it wasn't long after um, I actually contracted COVID that I realized that, oh, this is something that is serious and that I um, need help getting to the doctor and getting over it.
1: You know a lot of people who suffer from long covid, they say that one of the most frustrating things they deal with is simply getting people to believe them about their condition. Suzanne, is that something you've experienced?
3: It is. It's terrible um, to we we call it in the long covid community, we call it gaslighting. So basically you you have all these long lists of symptoms and problems and the doctors and nurses and just people in general were were just looking at you like you were making it up. Um like you like it was all in your head, like it wasn't true. But now now of course there's there's research and everything to back the to back that up that it is true that there are these symptoms and problems people are continuing to have. I mean, it's just it's it's terrible.
1: Mm. Barbara, how about you? Did Did you have a tough time getting people to believe you about your condition?
4: Not my immediate family. My daughter and husband, they um, were on board because my PCP, um, Dr. Wallace said, told me after like four or five weeks that I was experiencing long COVID. That's why I wasn't getting better. But my family lives in Kentucky and they had a really hard time um, believing it in fact still some of them don't understand what's going on and why I am the way I am and I can't I can't go to work I can't go do anything and that's that is very difficult mm. um my mother passed away in May I'm sorry. and she still did not understand what was going on and how severe it was. And I couldn't even go to my own mom's funeral.
1: I'm really sorry to hear that. How have you been able to find support from your husband and daughter?
4: Well, my family, they have rallied, rallied around me since day one. Um, I had home health for like six to eight weeks, I think when I came home and my husband and daughter also rotated taking time off to stay home with me because I couldn't be by myself. My daughter, even though she goes to work every day, she continually calls and checks on me. She texts me, my husband does the same thing. We have a calendar made up of what's going on for me throughout the day so I can stay on track because I'm so forgetful now, mm-hmm. but they also know what I should be doing.
1: They're a huge support. You mentioned your primary care physician who told you yes. that you had COVID. How helpful has your primary care phys- physician been for you?
4: Well, my, PCP is the one who told me I had long COVID. For me, she's been extremely helpful because I have been a patient there for about 20 years. So she knew my baseline. She knew who I was prior, the active, independent woman that I was. And now she sees me this complete shell of a person that I used to be. So I don't know what I would do without her. I mean, she has just been great. She tries to get me in for different specialists. She's the one who got me on the waiting list to get into the long I mean, the long COVID program at Vanderbilt.
1: If you're just tuning in, this is Citizen Nashville and I'm your host, Kaleole Kalona. We're talking this hour about long COVID. What is it like to live with it? What resources are available? Join the conversation and tweet us your questions at This Is Nashville. Now, Suzanne, while you were trying to find treatment, what was your experience like?
3: Um, it was very difficult, um, but luckily, um, I'm see with Barbara. I go to the Vanderbilt Long COVID Clinic as well, um, and they they have been great a great resource. Um, as far as the doctor that I see, she just keeps telling me, I won't give up if you don't give up. And I said, okay, that that's a deal. Um, because it, I mean, living with long COVID is so extremely difficult. People just really don't understand. Um, you know, the hardest part about living with long COVID is all the uncertainty. I mean, you never know from one day to the next how you're going to feel or what you're going to be able to do or anything like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's terrible. Um, I mean, I struggle every single day. Um, sometimes just hour by hour, just try to keep going.
1: Mm. Um, you know, it's just when, hard when you were initially seeking help from physicians and doctors, what were they telling you?
3: Um, at first, they were telling me, well, all your tests came back fine, except for I was anemic. um but all the regular testing came back fine. And so they were just at first, they were just saying, you know it's it's just psychosomatic. it's just all in your head, you know, mm. um, you're just having anxiety. you're just grieving because your husband passed away, and I said, You know, my thought was, yes, I'm definitely grieving um, for my husband, but I physically feel terrible. Like there's something really, really wrong with me because um, my husband and I, we live on this farm and, you know, I was riding horses all the time and showing horses and, you know, doing all of that. I went from that to not being able to do anything and trying to now i pre-plan even going to the grocery store Um, just simple daily mandatory activities are difficult to do you know
1: Um, as you mentioned you live on this you lived on a farm with in a rural area how has that impacted your treatment being so far away from clinics
3: It has been extremely difficult. Um, It's an hour drive for me to get treatment for anything. And that hour drive is very exhausting for me. Um, It takes a lot out of me just to be able to make that kind of commute. And as far as resources and things like that, I really haven't had any help, um, you know, getting to those appointments and things like that. Um, unfortunately, I just, just haven't had that kind of support, um, at all.
1: Now you were able to eventually be seen by the Vanderbilt Long COVID clinic. How did it feel when you finally got connected with them?
3: Um, I felt very relieved. Um, I felt like I was heard. Um, which was very validating to me. Um, it made me feel a lot better um, about everything, really. Um, I mean, I I, was, I just can't say enough about how thankful I am to the Long COVID clinic, um, you know, and my doctor that's treating me. I mean, she—I really feel like is doing everything that she can possibly do yeah. to help. I just wish there was more help out there.
1: You know, Barbara, you're in the long COVID clinic at Vanderbilt as well. How is it going for you? How's it going for you?
4: They have been extremely helpful. They um, set me up with cognitive rehab, um, speech classes. They also set us up in um, the post COVID survivor group with Dr. Jackson. And that was the first time that I understood there was somebody who had the same thing as I did, felt like I did. Dr. Jackson had me introduce myself and just give a little short synopsis Mm -hmm. of what had happened. And then afterwards, all these people on those little screens on the zoom, they all started saying, you know, I felt like that. I had that. That's how it is for me. I started crying Mm -hmm. because I, I was like, Oh my gosh, somebody now understands how I feel. And there are more than just me.
1: Suzanne, how has the group helped you?
3: Um, I'm with Barbara on that um, the same way. It is very comforting to know that there's other people out there that are experiencing the same things that you are, you know, and that you're really not losing your mind and that this really is a real thing and everything. And I can't say enough about uh, Dr. Jackson and our long COVID support group. I mean, if it wasn't for them, I don't know where I would be right now, honestly. Um, it's been very helpful and they have gone, Dr. Jackson has gone above and beyond um, really to help all of us. I mean, he I just can't say enough uh, good things about him really.
1: You know, you mentioned like the need for resources out there and it's got me thinking that, you know, bills have to be paid even though you have a chronic illness have you been able to get disability assistance any type of support?
3: I have not um I haven't gotten any support at all. It's been terrible. I mean, I've lost my husband, I've lost the life that we had um that we had together, and and it, it's left me unable to work and unable to do a lot of different things that people normally can do. And I am struggling. I'm struggling to pay bills. I'm struggling to scrape up enough money to figure out meals and things like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge problem.
1: You know, we have some experts, including Dr. Jackson, coming on to the show a little bit later. We're gonna to look to see what help we can do for you after the show. You know, hearing all this, and this this, this this story that you, both of you are sharing, you know, Barbara, what would you tell someone who thinks out there, one of our listeners, who thinks that they or a loved one may have long COVID? What do you want to tell them?
4: The first thing I would ask them to do is to talk to their regular doctor and to see if they understand what long COVID is and how to manage it. And if they don't, ask them to refer them to the Vanderbilt Clinic so they can get some help with the Sib Center. Um, they just have so many different resources there that can help you. So that's the first thing I would say.
1: What would you say to them personally about anyone, anyone who is really in, in a tough place um, with facing what they're going through?
4: Actually, I would wish, wish I could reach out and hug them because I know that they're going through a nightmare. I mean, it's it's so hard. Um, Susan mentioned going crazy. I felt like for such a long time I was crazy because I had migraines. My I hurt all over. My joints ache and. You need someone to talk to. So I would also let them know that there is help. There is help. Call the Vanderbilt Sib Center. That's what I would say. And then let them know that they are loved.
1: Suzanne, we've got medical experts joining us later in the show, as I mentioned. Is there anything you would like to ask them?
3: Um, I would just like to, I guess, ask them if there's any other further treatments or recommendations that we could be doing to hopefully feel better, um, you know, what kind of resources might be out there for financially, um, you know, or even like getting a ride and things like that, even that would be helpful for me for sure, um,
1: That is Suzanne Martin from Charlotte. She was joined by Barbara Van Meter Nivens from Old Hickory. I want to thank you both for coming on to the show and sharing your stories. I wish you both a full recovery and the absolute best of luck to you both. Thank you again.
3: Thank you so much. Thank
1: you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll have medical experts to answer your questions about long COVID. Still still have time to join our conversation. Tweet us at this is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Citizen Nashville. We're talking this hour about long COVID. Before the break, we heard from two middle Tennesseans who are living with it, and long COVID has completely changed their lives. Now let's get some medical, ex- medical perspective on this puzzling condition and learn about the resources that are available. Here to answer your questions about long COVID are Dr. Jim Jackson, Jackson, pardon me, with the Vanderbilt Long COVID Clinic and Dr. Brent Snader, internal medicine and pediatric doc- doctor at Siloam Health in South Nashville. I want to thank you both for being with us and welcome to This is Nashville. Great to be here. You know, thank you. Thank you both again. You know, we asked our listeners to share their experiences with us, and you all did come through. We got a voice message from Kate Whitley. Let's listen.
3: I used to be so sharp. I used to be so quick-witted. I used to have energy. (laughs) I I don't remember. I don't—I'm 42. I feel like I'm a different person. I'm a 90-year-old person. My day looks like— my brain fog is insane. So I can't even form a real thought giving you this audio because it's utter
2: chaos.
1: You know, Dr. Jackson, you can hear how distraught Kate is. Tell me, how do cognitive issues, the cognitive issues she's describing, how do they how do they line up with what you usually see with long COVID?
5: I think they overlap completely. And, and I would say to Kate, parenthetically, if she's listening, uh, that we're about to start a new support group at Vanderbilt, and she's welcome to join. So if she wants to reach out to me through you, we would welcome her. Um, The problems that COVID survivors have in the cognitive arena tend to do with issues in attention, problems following directions, Mm. difficulty in multi-step processes, problems with memory. We often hear things like this, someone bakes a casserole they put it in the oven, they forget to take it out, it burns, they redouble their efforts, they do it again, right? Mm. They leave a frying pan on the oven, they forget their keys, they back into a car because they're not paying attention in the parking lot, Uh, they get fired from their job because they're making accounting errors. These are the sorts of chaotic problems that we see. And uh, unfortunately, they affect real people, many of whom don't have the resources and the support and the safety net to weather these difficulties. So what she has described sounds very typical, unfortunately, to me.
1: Now, note for listeners, the number for clinic intake at the Vanderbilt Long COVID Center is 615-936-1212. Again, number is 615-936-1212. Now, doctor, you're talking about these situations that happen, people driving cars, people in their homes, people losing their jobs. It's incredibly dangerous for folks.
5: It's a big problem for people. Um, I would say in our support groups, we have every week probably 60 or 65 people with long COVID. And of that group, easily a third have lost their jobs. Wow. Um, of the remaining people, probably a third feel like they're holding on by a thread. And uh, what we know is that with regard to employment, Even mild changes, even minor changes often are significant enough that they move you from being an effective employee to not quite getting the job done in the eyes perhaps of an employer who often is willing to wait for a while, but if things don't turn around, they often lack patience. So a third of our people probably out of the workforce, another third hanging on by a thread, Um, It's a huge problem. It's created a crisis in the disability arena where huge numbers of people are filing for disability. The problem there, as you can imagine, is that even things like disability forms are really complicated. So you're asking someone who's cognitively impaired to advocate for themselves and to write a really compelling application for disability. just doesn't work. And we don't have enough neuropsychologists, speech pathologists, brain injury experts. We don't have nearly enough of those people. To meet the need, there's a big supply-demand problem that we're trying to fix, but we're only one center.
1: And you're describing the problem that Suzanne was just talking to to us about. Exactly. Now, Madison Murray wrote in to us explaining that long COVID had a severe impact on her mental health. Quote, I had frequent panic attacks and scary, intrusive thoughts. I was scared I was going to have to be locked up for fear I would hurt myself. I could barely leave my house. I became so angry with my body, it felt like a betrayal. I drowned myself in Reddit feeds to find people who have experienced any of the things I have, so I don't feel so alone. We need someone to tell us that these feelings will end and we will get through it," end quote. Dr. Jackson, this sounds like it goes beyond just physical illness. Help us understand why long COVID can have this severe psychological impact.
5: It's a great question. And too often, people are dismissed. People say, physicians say, oh, it's just anxiety, you know, you'll get over it. Well, there are a couple issues at work. Uh, One of them is that if you now are so fatigued that you can't walk down the block and you used to run in the Chicago Marathon every year, um, if you're now too tired to get your canoe out and can barely get in the bathtub, um, if you now have been fired from your job um, it's very normal in those situations to experience anxiety, to experience major depression. Um, if you contracted COVID at the barbershop, like one of my patients did, mm-hmm. um, you began to be hypervigilant, uh, maybe develop a little bit of OCD, so there are a lot of pathways through which people develop mental health problems, and um, as those mental health problems develop, they tend to isolate and they get more and more alone, and the more alone you are, the more that exacerbates the mental health problems, which in turn causes you to isolate and feel more alone. Mm-hmm. So people get stuck in a very vicious cycle. They wind up going down a rabbit hole of doom scrolling, whether it's on Reddit or Twitter. And and I understand the impulse. Um, that's really one of the reasons we formed the support group, because we believe that although there's no magic wand, if you're engaging with other people in community, there's healing that you're going to find there. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the key things we do when we interact with our patients is we try to refer them to mental health professionals, because generally what we found is that when they're connected with mental health professionals, they do better. When they're not, they do worse. It's really that simple.
1: Now, Dr. Snader, a good number of people who don't have, they don't have a primary care physician. So tell me, where can they find help?
0: Yeah, so um, in our clinic, we take care of uh, uninsured and underserved patients from around Middle Tennessee. Uh, primarily, uh, our focus uh, has been over the years on uh, immigrants and refugee populations, though uh, not exclusively. Um, so we're, um, you know, in Middle Tennessee, there are uh, 200,000 uh, people without insurance, um, and again, our clinic is 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 only for those without insurance or, or underserved, and um, so we're trying to fill that gap uh, by by providing opportunities that where where patients can get care. We have two clinics in town, one in kind of South Nashville, and another in the Antioch region. Uh, but we're one of a number of other clinics that would make up what would be considered the safety net in, in Tennessee, in middle Tennessee, where, where patients can access care if they don't otherwise have access to, to either acute or ongoing primary care. Now, one of our producers spoke
1: with Brian Hale, CEO of Neighborhood mm-hmm. Health. He said, quote, the key question we've got to explore, where do the uninsured patients go? Where do patients with 10 care go? Long COVID isn't very different from other chronic conditions, end quote. So, Dr. Snader, let me ask you, what do you mm-hmm. see at your clinic when it comes to treating uninsured patients with chronic conditions?
0: Yeah, great question. Um, yeah, it's a challenge for sure. Uh, there are a lot of barriers to, to ongoing care for our uninsured patients with chronic care specifically. Uh, you know, patients face a lot of challenges, Uh and uh, getting access to, to referrals for, um, for specialists, uh, access to medications and other treatments. Uh, we can do as much as we can within our own clinic here, but when, it, when, when we reach uh, the point where we have to refer them elsewhere, uh, then, it, then we have to rely on community partnerships, which we do have a number from a lot of hospitals, including Vanderbilt, um, where we can send folks who are, who are in need of extra care but certainly uh, the barriers are the the common ones that you would you would imagine transportation uh certainly financial both to access the care but uh, even even giving up a day off of work to to come to the doctor or go to specialists um because most of our patients are immigrants and refugees where english isn't their first language Mm -hmm. and the uh, cultural and language barriers become an issue as well um so yeah those are the big ones that come to mind. Do you
1: think long COVID could be going underdiagnosed in patient populations like the ones you work with? Uh, I, I believe so. Yes, I believe so. If you're just tuning in, this is Citizen Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil lake We're talking this hour about long COVID with Dr. Jim Jackson of Vanderbilt and Dr. Brent Snader of Siloam Health Clinic. Now, we got a tweet at This Is Nashville from Twitter user DJ Neuro says, quote, does being vaxxed offer more protection against long COVID? End quote. Dr.
5: Jackson? I think there is a consensus that it does. Uh, the problem is it doesn't solve the problem completely, but it does uh, mitigate and decrease your risk of developing long COVID, yes. All right, so listener Rachel Cock of left us a message
1: on her experience with COVID. Let's take a listen.
3: Two years later, I still can't smell things correctly. I believe they call it parosmia, but for instance, coffee smells terrible. Um, you know, there's just so many things that have the wrong smell. It's like my brain rewired incorrectly. And it. I'm thankful that I didn't have anything worse than that. But it's a lot more disruptive than people would think. I mean, it takes a lot of the joy out of eating.
1: We heard that from listener Rachel Koch. Now, talking about taking the joy out of eating, I know... That would be hard on a lot of people, myself included, to tell you the truth. Now, Dr. Jackson, how does the support group that you
5: established, how does that help people with their mental well-being? Um, I'll I'll comment uh, losing the joy of eating would be a challenge for me as well, Mm -hmm. I would say. So when we hear our patients say that, we're quick to not dismiss it. It's just one more thing, and for some of them, it really is the death of a 100 paper cuts, you yeah. know, to use that expression. Um, in our support group, uh, there are a couple things that happen that help promote mental health. Uh, one of them, the less important one, I think, is that uh, people get advice from other people with long COVID, and that can be helpful. The more important thing is that people find a place where they're affirmed and they're valued and they're connected where they feel like people really get them, and I think it's hard to overestimate the value of that for mental health. Uh, it's also true that there are principles, uh, a number of key principles that we try to highlight, and I guess even teach in these support groups that are useful. So one of those is we teach people that they are more than their long COVID, and I think that's mm-hmm. a really important message. That that it seems like long COVID has robbed your identity, but Barbara, Suzanne, you're still in there, right? You're still Barbara, you're still Suzanne. Mm -hmm. Doesn't feel like it some days, but let's not let long COVID rob you of that identity. You're more than that. We continue to emphasize that. I think it's really helpful. And I think the other thing that we emphasize that is useful is this idea that you can do really hard things. Um, You've survived COVID. In Barbara's case, months in the ICU, right? So she's pretty gritty and resilient. If Mm -hmm. she survived that, she can survive this. If Suzanne was able to weather the tragic loss of her husband, that means she's really strong. So we highlight in the support group, let's figure out ways to use that strength, right? To combat this long COVID. And I think people have a hard time on their own believing that they're that strong. But when other people are encouraging them, I think there's a lot of buy-in. They realize, as Robert Frost said, that the only way around is through. There's no shortcut, but by doing this hard work in the support group, by leaning into difficult things and becoming resilient you often find out that you're coping better than you think you can.
1: Yeah, I see what you're saying, because trying to tackle these things by yourself is one matter. But then to have a group of people who understand is another. Having that community. Do you think that, you know, in society, we're acting like we're post-COVID, which can feel even more isolating to people like Barbara and Suzanne? Do you think that our societal look at trying to move past COVID is leaving folks who are suffering from long COVID behind?
5: I think it's really unhelpful. Um, I had an old car once and the check engine light came on and I put an index card over it and I just kept driving, right? Mm. Tried to ignore it. And um, that worked fine until the car died by the side of the road. I think we're doing a similar thing with COVID and long COVID, right? You know, we're putting a giant band aid um, or an index card over the flashing light and we're pretending everything's fine. But when you lean in and ask people, you often find out that it's not fine. And what you find out is that your neighbor, your friend, your coworker um, who appears at a glance to be doing great, they may well be struggling with the persistent challenges of long COVID. Mm -hmm. So one thing we encourage healthcare providers to do early and often is check in with your patients. You know, just because they're not mentioning COVID doesn't mean that you shouldn't mention it to them. Make sure they don't have long COVID Ask them about it. And if they do, refer them to a specialty clinic because that's where they can find help.
1: Now, Diana Perez is fully vaccinated but has gotten COVID twice. She left us a message explaining that some of her symptoms never really went away. Let's, let's listen.
3: My sense of smell and taste have decreased. Not just decreased, but the taste of some uh, food. Um, it feels very different to me. So I'm just hoping this is something that will go away soon. Uh, But um, after several months of the last time I got COVID, um, I'm still feeling these.
1: Months for her, months it's been. Dr. Jackson, how does someone know they have COVID? Pardon me, let me rephrase this. How does someone who
5: had COVID know if they have long COVID? Yeah, it's a great question. so there are a lot of technical definitions that people can find on the internet, the the definition by the World Health Organization um, for long COVID, among others. There are technical definitions, but the gist is that if you've had COVID and you're having persistent problems that you didn't have before, then it's worth exploring whether that is long COVID. And those problems are typically going to occur in three broad domains. They're going to occur in... Either the physical domain, which often has to do with loss of taste, loss of smell, often has to do with disabling fatigue. Those would be common problems, fatigue being perhaps the worst of of the lot. Um, in the cognitive arena, which includes what people call brain fog, and in the mental health arena where we see depression, PTSD, and also anxiety. So if you're having new issues after COVID you didn't before having to do with things like striking fatigue, having to do with problems remembering or attending, having to do with feeling sad or anxious, we would encourage you to go see a doctor and talk about long COVID. And the criteria we use is if these problems are persisting and if they're significant enough that they're impairing your life, don't wait, Mm. get help. If they're just a nuisance, might be okay. But if they're impairing you, don't wait take yeah, action help. immediately. Yep.
1: Now, now, you know, Dr. Snader, our former guest, previous guest we just had on, Suzanne Martin, she has long COVID, she's been telling us about the difficulty she's getting, just getting support and disability benefits due to her condition. You know, have your patients with chronic conditions, have they faced similar challenges?
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, I think anyone going through long COVID or any, any other chronic condition, Getting support. I mean, I, I totally agree with Dr. Jackson's comments on just the need for community and support around both, particularly mental health. Uh, our clinic has has long been about what we can what we call whole person health, which uh, encompasses both mental and emotional, and the physical and, and spiritual and social aspects that that all are, all are really important for for someone to to live a healthy life. And um, so our patients do struggle with that. We have a, a lot of folks, uh, you know, here particularly. In the immigrant and refugee population again, which is most of my patients, um, are just you know here. Um, uh, maybe if some have arrived recently, some over longer periods of time, but uh, really just you know going to work and coming home and doing whatever they can to to earn money to support their families and um, and but also it, it just. It can get isolated very, very quickly and very easily. And so we have programs like a community health program that is very important to, to getting outside of the clinic and trying to meet people in their homes and and come alongside them with with extra support um, when they're struggling with 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 these chronic conditions. And it's been really beneficial uh, to our to our patients for sure. What would you like to see
1: changed to better support uninsured or underinsured people with chronic conditions
0: like long COVID? Well, that's a very difficult question. There's there are a lot of things that that patients need. Uh, you know, certainly the, the healthcare landscape is is complex, and uh, um, there there aren't any quick fixes. And uh, certainly, access to care that everybody else can can access would be would be great. Access to specialists, uh, affordable uh, affordable tests and procedures that are needed um, is is really top top on the list. But um, uh, yeah.
1: I understand it's all good Mm -hmm. let me ask you one final question we've got just under a minute left you know for anyone who comes into your clinic and they have long COVID what are you advising them to do
0: yeah for sure um we would want to again you're a busy doctor I get it yeah (laughs) this is this is not meant to to prove that, but uh, yeah, um, we would want to surround them with uh, with the, with a full team approach that we that we uh, give anyone with that. But uh, but ultimately, we'd want to you know reassure them that they're they're not crazy that they have some, a significant condition and we want to get them uh, for sure uh, over to Dr. Jackson and the Vanderbilt Clinic uh, as to, to the experts who know best what they're doing and, and caring for our patients. Um, but we also want to support them along the way as we do with all of our other chronic patients that, that, that have conditions that we don't treat only by ourselves, but support them with our community health team and behavioral health and our social workers as well. So um, yeah, that's what I would say. Thank you very much. We will have a link to
1: resources on the web post for this episode at thisisnashville.org, my guests were Dr. Jim Jackson with the Vanderbilt Long COVID Clinic and Dr. Brent Snader, who is an internal medicine and pediatric doctor at Siloam Health in South Nashville. Thank you both again for being here and thank you for offering your expertise. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, we'll explore Nashville's diverse wildlife population. Not turkey vultures and deer. We're talking about feral cats, foxes, and them darn armadillos. This is Nashville as a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gaigos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. The masterminds behind our theme music are the Mirror Blade. Special thanks to Dr. Morgan Willis and Blake Farmer. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at this is Nashville and find us on Instagram. Tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Be good to each other and take care of each other.